0: Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Bernie Wagonblast. While watching the total climb at the pump, drivers may find themselves laying off the gas pedal to stretch fuel efficiency. But a pair of researchers from Auburn University might tell folks to give themselves a break. Acceleration makes up just a fraction of overall fuel economy. There are several untapped paths for drivers and for state DOTs to both increase efficiency and save money. Mark Hoffman, an assistant professor of mechanical engineering at Auburn University, and his graduate research assistant Carl Bonenberger have been studying one of the lesser-known contributors to poor fuel economy, rolling resistance rolling resistance is a measure of the effort required to keep a tire rolling. It might not grab headlines, but rolling resistance has a substantial impact on emissions and energy use. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, conventionally fueled vehicles use up to 11% of their fuel to keep their tires rolling, while electric vehicles use up to 25% of their energy for this purpose. As a result, Reducing rolling resistance presents a valuable opportunity to improve vehicle efficiency and reduce the transportation sector's carbon footprint. Today, Mark and Carl join us to chat about rolling resistance reduction as an attainable step toward a sustainable future. Mark, Carl, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. As I mentioned in the introduction, rolling resistance eats up a surprisingly large percentage of the energy that we use to move our vehicles, if you would tell us a bit
1: more about that, please. Rolling resistance, you know, is the parasitic losses that are happening at the tire road interface, right? So, everything that is resistant to your vehicle rolling down the road in and of itself. Ultimately, people think of this as mostly a vehicle problem. Actually, when first approaching, some folks talking about this in a roadway perspective. There was a little bit of uh, confusion because they view it as a tire industry problem or a vehicle problem with all the rotating components and the losses that are associated. But ultimately, everything that's happening when your tread hits the road, all of those deformation modes your tire is undergoing at that interface, anything that creates those vibrations and deflections is what's imparting this resistance. So you can imagine that the pavement surface parameters have a large interplay in that effect. You know, One thing that I don't think most people realize as well is that if we start to analyze it on the roadway perspective and you're thinking about the roadway parameters, then it doesn't matter anymore what type of vehicle we're talking about. CO2 reductions, hot topic obviously in the moment and probably will be for the foreseeable future but it it really doesn't matter if you're driving a battery electric vehicle or a hybrid or a conventional vehicle, they all are suffering from these losses. So it's a very independent solution to help everybody out. And once people start to do the analysis on things like the CO2 emissions from roadways, the in-use phase of vehicles physically operating over the road and the losses that they incur because of the rolling resistance over that 7, 10, 20-year lifetime of the pavement surface itself is vastly larger than all the CO2 it takes to produce the roadway material itself and to install that roadway material, order of magnitude larger. So small changes in rolling resistance are going to be able to impart gigantic savings in CO2 over the lifetime of the roadway.
0: You laid out the reason for state DOT's to care about rolling resistance and a little bit about what they can do. But tell us a bit more about how practitioners can fit this goal into reducing rolling resistance into their everyday work, if you would.
1: Well, it's interesting. I mean, as a researcher, we've been looking at it in collaboration with the National Center for Asphalt Technology down here at Auburn University, our friends at NAPA. and uh, We keep thinking about it as a, as a new performance metric for brand new pavements, and make sure that we're considering rolling resistance of the effective as-laid material within the design phase. But I think the utilization goes way beyond that. If we have reached a point where we can really accurately measure rolling resistance of pavements everywhere in the real world and not just on the track environment, it puts DOTs in a position where they might be able to run their resurfacing schedules on an energy and emissions basis rather than, I guess, a, a more macroscopic look, whether they're looking at maybe IRI or potholes, but overall degradation and aging of a surface for stretches of miles, it might be more important on an energy basis to mm-hmm. kind of rethink that resurfacing. We're hoping that they could also, as rolling resistance becomes a metric for new roadway surface materials, uh, that if you have an accurate assessment technology available to you, that the DOTs would actually be able to go out after the companies install their product, and they would be able to measure to make sure that it is indeed in compliance with what they specified when they won the contract. So there's a few different ways I think that it'd be very useful for DOTs.
0: Getting into this, are we talking about really making choices between different types of roadway material to reduce roadway resistance is or rolling resistance, I should say? Is there a particular new type of roadway material that can be used to reduce this? Or is it some of the materials that have been used for years?
1: Beyond establishing new and novel types of roadway surfaces, uh, I think it's going to be helpful regardless of what the material is that we're talking about just to consider it within the process. Some of the results that have been out there really depend on who sponsored the work, whether they selectively are choosing a winner or not. And you know, as a scientist, that's usually not our bag, right? We're here just to show, okay, this is the quantifiable measurable piece that we can tell you about your new choices you're making for resurfacing your roads and what those losses are going to look like. I actually don't have a clear leader in mind at the moment. But I think that each industry, regardless of what angle they're coming at it from and and what their home base is, right? You got concrete guys and they're different home base than pavement guys. I think including rolling resistance within their design process is going to help them all.
2: If I could add some stuff on top of that really quick, what I would really like to say is, you know, adding rolling resistance to your repertoire of information that you're getting off of your public roadways, as well as macro texture information, micro texture information, what is going to allow the NDOT user to do is make a better informed decision on what type of road service may fit their DOT versus another. So we could imagine some more extreme weather climates may tend to fall toward one type of road surface, whereas some others can certainly go toward another. So like we mentioned, there's no clear winner at the moment. And that's not really our our decision to make, but it's one more tool that we can use to really assess the health of our roadways and which one might be a better maintenance schedule for uh, based on climate.
0: I'm going to admit, I'm certainly no expert when it comes to uh, roadway surfaces, but just listening to this, I'm wondering, is there a conflict, if you will, between reducing rolling resistance And at the same time, making it so that vehicles are less likely to slip on a roadway, say on a curve, or if there's water on the roadway surface, or even
1: ice on a roadway surface. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it's just going to be another factor within the grand trade-off, right? It's just like when you're picking out tires for your vehicle. If you want good winter tires up north, the compound is softer, the tread blocks are more open. And you try to run them in the summer and they wear out really quickly. So, you know, there's always the trade-off between your desired performance parameters. Our perfect model for rolling resistance, what we start everybody out right from physics class is a non-deformable steel wheel on a perfectly hard surface. And obviously the traction of that scenario would not be (sighs) adequate for what we want for a roadway. So it is going to have to factor in, I mean, whether we're looking at permeability to water and and how vehicles can gain purchase and traction versus how much energy they lose when they're physically driving on it. And we're expecting that answer to vary, as Carl was saying a second ago. Hot climates are going to have a different need than climates that have freeze-thaw cycles versus climates that are super dry and climates that are humid. And resiliency is going to be another issue as well, a very hot topic right now, especially areas with heavy rain and possibility of being submerged underwater. So I just view rolling resistance as another one of the cadre of things that need to be put in your your optimization when you're making your decisions as a DOT for what your road is going to look like.
0: Now you're doing research on this. I'm curious, have these research findings been implemented anywhere by state DOTs that you're aware of? Can you tell us anything in terms of what they found as they have implemented some of this?
1: Well, the implementation, right? The It's the same, I guess we'll call it the technological valley of death that the NSF and the DOE always talk about, right? You got your early research and thing. everybody's really excited about it. And then there's that bathtub shaped curve where nothing really happens until a long time later, things get a, either cheaper from a mass production standpoint in a lot of industries, or they end up finally gaining traction and being adopted. But our research is actually in a relatively, I would say, the infant stage. We're just starting to understand the problem and, and working our way toward the best way to find these rolling resistance answers. To my knowledge, there's been some research studies conducted both in Europe and some up in the Minnesota Road territory up there. But I don't think that any DOTs are currently being able to quantify this just because there's a, there's a lack of good measurement instruments out there to actually make the measurements. And that's where we're starting, actually, is trying to learn from the groups that have come before us and the difficulties they've had and be able to solve some of those problems and create an instrument that's going to be usable for DOTs.
0: Since you're talking about having to find a way to accurately measure this, is it possible yet at this point to get at least a ballpark idea in terms of emission reductions that are possible with this?
1: Yeah, I mean, we ballpark it in from the energy analysis perspective. And, you know, if we can change, say, the rolling resistance of a roadway by about 10%, most folks are pretty in agreement that that's going to mean, you know, at least two, maybe 3% energy utilization savings. But when you start to think about how much traffic and how many vehicles are on that road, and you add that up over any significant period of time, say, for the lifetime of that road span. Uh, That number is actually larger than all of the emissions reductions from using recycled pavement materials in 2018, or another way to think about it if you're trying to measure how full the bucket is. The the reduction of 10% in rolling resistance would be the same thing as taking 3.2 million conventional vehicles off the road in terms of CO2 reduction.
2: What's interesting about talking about rolling resistance is people relatively speaking think, oh, this is really small. This is negligible. Um, but the proof is in the numbers there. If you could get a 10% reduction, you know, you're talking, yes, a one to 3% reduction in fuel economy, which seems small. But if you put it on the broader scale of, of how many vehicles we have out there you can start to see a benefit in terms of CO2 emissions. And then tying this back into the, the platform independence in terms of hybrid electric vehicles, electric, ve- you know, electric pure electric vehicles, um, as well as traditional internal combustion vehicles. It's a whole life cycle of CO2 that you're able to save.
0: Now, when it comes to rolling resistance, I'm guessing to some degree you're assuming that the tires on the vehicle are properly inflated. Does improper inflation on the vehicles affect this rolling resistance and how
1: much? I guess that's the perspective that I guess everybody really pictures when they're thinking about rolling resistance. There is a big difference if you have underinflated tires versus proper inflation pressures on the deflection of the tire itself. So the energy that it takes for your sidewall to be compressed and then snap back out is one of the dominant modes of energy loss, right? Anytime you're creating that heat, that energy came from somewhere. So that underinflation problem is real and people should pay attention and you know make sure that they have properly inflated tires, just like they should be changing their oil and, and doing all the other maintenance aspects. But that won't change regarding the roadway. That's influencing things on the vehicle side. And it's one of the perceptions I think that folks very commonly have is they think of it as a tire problem. Now, of course, Anytime we're changing the shape of how the tread hits the road, that is going to change what we're talking about here, which is the roadways contribution to the rolling resistance. And that's why the same reason when you underinflate your tires, right? It wears the outsides out because you're cupping the center away from the road. And I would say not something we have studied yet. We have inflation pressure within the gamut of things we want to examine as we're looking over rolling resistance. There's a lot of things to keep track of to keep consistency in the testing. So inflation pressure is super important. Of great importance is keeping track, especially when we're going on real world roadways, keeping track of a lot of parameters, both temperatures of the tire itself. So we make sure that we're apples to apples comparisons across different seasons or different areas. Temperature of the roadway we're running over makes a difference on how much the tire is sticking. And then all of the various suspension parameters, we have to make sure stay consistent. So making sure that the tire is rolling true, essentially. So suspension angles, caster camber, tow, all of that stuff has to be carefully quantified and monitored, especially if we want to take this thing on a real road that has curves and has super elevation. So testing on a track is one thing. And that's what the groups that have tried to do this so far have been able to accomplished with varying degrees of success is very flat grades, very well-controlled scenarios, constant speeds, no super elevation. And that is a very useful thing from the research perspective, but not as useful as it could be to say the DOT community if we had a device that could be actually used to assess the roads in their district.
0: Does it make a difference if we're talking about an interstate highway, a turnpike versus a city street. Is is this research applicable to stop-and-go traffic on a city street, or is it really focused more on highway speeds where you have a, a fairly constant flow of traffic?
1: The losses are still going to be there, regardless of whether it's stop-and-go. Anytime that the rubber is physically making contact with the road, you're experiencing the loss. People think of the highway scenario just because once you're up to speed and you're, say, just cruising on cruise control on level ground, you know, you only are using a tenth of the power of your vehicle to overcome air resistance and rolling resistance of the pavement. So the rolling resistance becomes a big portion of what you're using at that point. When you're accelerating from traffic lights or drag racing a guy from a light or something along those lines, right, there's a lot more power going that, going in as a whole
2: but the rolling resistance is still there. An important thing I would want to add on to this is to remember that rolling resistance is an interface challenge. It's the interface between the tire and the actual road surface. So any type of variable you add in there, whether it be tire pressure, temperature, some contamination on the roadway, accelerations, decelerations, all of those add in the equation that will eventually equate out the fuel economy. So we can translate a lot of those back into rolling resistance, but the losses are certainly active at all drive modes unless the tire is physically not in contact with the ground. Duke's a hazard style.
0: (laughs) Obviously, state DOTs have a lot of concerns that they have to weigh, and one of them is funding money. How much is this going to cost? Is there a potential cost savings benefit for DOTs to implement some of these projects to reduce rolling resistance? And what does that also mean for drivers who may not have any clue
1: about this topic? You know, it's an interesting question to find out if there's going to be savings there. I think... The DOTs obviously are way better than I am at figuring out what they need to do for repaving schedules and how they're going to manage the roadways in their district. But I think anytime we can add a secure piece of quantifiable information that they can use to either reinforce their decision-making process, or perhaps they're, they're going to come up with a different schedule altogether for repaving. It might not be section of road A versus section of road B. It could be a scenario where now, if they're running this rolling resistance quantification in their district, you know they they might be able to either pursue different funding pathways because they quantify how much Mm CO two the district is going to save by having this repaving schedule either fast tracked or perhaps uh, in light of the current concerns and the way that we're really pushing as a country right now, I've. Almost no doubt with the infrastructure spending that's coming out that they would be able to secure some of that, that they could distinctly tie things back to an emissions basis and, and the climate change concerns.
2: And from a driver's perspective, well, what you're going to see is likely a it may be an enhanced paving schedule or a more frequent paving schedule. And ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to be on a slightly smoother road that makes slightly less noise and hopefully a little bit less time at the gas pump. Um, that's ultimately where this is going to go. So there will be some creature comforts that come back into the driver itself in both the form of, you know, pure creature comforts as well as as emissions and uh, energy savings.
0: One of the statistics I talked about in the introduction was the 11% of fuel that's affected by rolling resistance and 25% when it comes to electric vehicles. Why, why, the, the disparity between gasoline-powered vehicles and electric-powered vehicles in terms of the energy, the percentage of energy used?
1: Well, it always depends when you're running percentages as to as to what the denominator is. And in this case, it appears that those numbers have come from looking at the energy that's stored on the vehicle and what percentage of that energy is contributed to rolling resistance. So, You know, when you're talking about something that's burning a fuel like a conventional engine, right, if you start off at 100 percent with the energy that's in the tank, we've got all of the different loss pathways that can happen going to heat and going to the coolant system and energy that's still available within the exhaust gases that are leaving. The time we get to the transmission itself, right, we're already down to maybe 40 percent has passed to the transmission. And then we've got our rotating losses and things before we get back to the wheels. So when we look at it from that perspective, only about 10% of the fuel energy on the vehicle ended up being burned because of rolling resistance. With the electric vehicles, and one of their main proponents is the fact that a lot of those losses are shifted elsewhere. So you know, it's not that electric vehicles are never going to be zero emissions vehicles. There's a lot of people that like to call them zero emissions vehicles, but you always have to put it on a comparable basis, right? So with the conventional vehicle, you had the raw energy source on board and 10% of that raw source ended up being consumed in rolling resistance. With the electric vehicle, electricity is not a natural harnessable source. There's no lightning farms, right? So we have to, that's a transformed source of energy that has already undergone a bunch of losses to get us to electricity. Once we're at electricity, we can pretty efficiently use it, right? So electric motors and and electric drive axles are very efficient devices. So when you're looking at it from, we started with electricity, well, then that means that it took a lot less inefficiency to get the motors turning in the wheel hubs and whichever their powertrain architecture is. So as a proportion of that energy used, electric vehicles are using like 20%, 25% overcome rolling resistance. Now, of course, as the consumer, right, we don't care about that. We care about what our range is. And if somebody told me, I get 25% better range if I can, you know, change this rolling resistance parameter of the highway, then that's, you know, that's, I suppose, as a bad pun where the rubber meets the road, right? So
0: let me wrap up by asking, since a lot of our listeners to the podcast are people who work at state DOTs, what's your best advice for state DOTs that would like to harness rolling resistance reduction? as part of their sustainability goals.
1: I mean, right now, like I said, we're still in the early stages of this, and we are actually, we're actively pursuing avenues that we can fiscally be able to build up this device that Carl has designed, arduously designed over the the course of the last, I guess, maybe almost two years now. None of that is inexpensive. I view it as a holistic and collaborative effort. We're seeking out many different avenues, but I think because there's a great use case for DOTs in the end, I would be very happy to see a DOTs become involved in this process early on in whatever way that they can. A big example of it is what we already have happening with, say, our National Center for Asphalt Technology here at Auburn, right? There's dozens of DOTs from all across the country that come in and lay their roadway materials down. They bring all their aggregates in, install it just as if they were going to install it in their facility and they rapidly age it over there. And it's a benefit for everyone to have that technology and that solution available for their use. And I'm viewing this much the same way. It won't be cheap or fast to get this measurement technology built and proven out, but if and when that comes to fruition, it's gonna help everybody. And if we can get a lot of collaboration going on here in the very beginning, then number one, everybody's going to be apprised of what's happening and results as they come out. And they can be early adopters compared to, say, catching up after we get everything flushed out in the end. And then uh, they might find themselves behind the eight ball a little bit. But, yeah, we're we're just happy to partner and get everyone's different perspective, too. Across the country has different needs and goals. And we want to make sure that as we develop this capability, it's going to fit in with what all the different sectors of our nation need. And I think the best way to do that is to have involvement early. Carl,
0: any final comments or thoughts from you?
2: Yeah, just to pivot off of what Mark said there is, the one main goal that we had with this device of various things was being able to utilize rolling distance measurements to translate that back into a variable that somebody like a DOT has control of. Okay, They have control of strategic maintenance, uh, different materials. Um, What we want to be able to do is use this as information to really make good informed decisions that are specific to their roadways. And with that, they can have the best utilization of the roadways, best utilization of energy from a, a cradle to gate point of view, and ultimately the fewer emissions.
0: We've been talking on this episode of Ashto's ETAP podcast with Mark Hoffman, assistant professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering at Auburn University, and Carl Bonenberger, the graduate research assistant that works with uh, Mark. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us today.
1: Really appreciate you having us on. Take care, guys.